us on the Fjorge cast. I'm Tim Barsis, founder of web and mobile development team Fjorge. And today on our show, we will be talking with Connor Dalton about digital marketing agency designer marketing. Welcome to the show, Connor. Thanks for having me, Tim. We're happy you're here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Blue Liner Marketing? Sure, sure. So we are based in New York City, and we have offices on Madison Avenue. So, you know, we're kind of in keeping with the whole Mad Men type of thing. But, um, you know, digital is our focus. Um, we've been in the digital game for over 15 years now um, as a company, which is quite mature for a digital agency. Um, and, you know, we've seen lots of changes from search getting more comprehensive and ad tech evolving. And, uh, you know, we work kind of on a boutique basis with clients across, you know, a wide range of industries, primarily healthcare, financial services, um, and, you know, other interesting areas like hardware too. Um, you know, and basically we're, we're here to partner with companies to help them achieve their business objectives through best-in-class marketing. So, we, you know, we really see our clients as partners and uh, we kind of get right down there in the trenches with them. Um, help them identify exactly what they need to reach their most ideal audiences and uh, help them grow their business. When did you join the team? So I joined in July 2015, shortly after moving over from Europe, um, from Ireland more specifically. Um, so it's been about two years now, just over two years. And in that time, I've kind of gone from being a project manager to moving into my role now, which is marketing director. So tell us, let's let's get into Connor a little bit. Um, tell us about the path you took to become marketing director at Blue Liner Marketing. How did you get your start in marketing? Sure. So I started off by doing, um, you know, in college I did commerce, which is essentially, you know, general business degree in University College Cork. And um, I was always very into music growing up and continued to play music right the way, you know, through college. And um, towards the end of my bachelor's degree, I kind of noted that marketing was an area where I could merge the creative elements of, of what I was into with the kind of more business-based, um, you know, things that were really tickling my fancy around that time. And so it seemed like kind of the perfect marriage, really, between that creative side and the business side. So coming towards the end of my undergraduate, uh, I sought out a master's in marketing that kind of allowed me to, to kind of take on a you know an internship where I was actually working with a big company, but also getting my master's at the same time. So when I reached that juncture of, oh, do I keep studying or do I go working? It was kind of a nice, you know, combo of the two. And um, from there, I was kept on with that company, which was a professional services company, um, ESB International, which was, you know, kind of a, an engineering company. And uh, then I made the transition into social media marketing for Allied Irish Banks, which is, a, you know, the biggest banking group in Ireland. And kind of then I, I kind of had a bit of an itch to kind of play in the big leagues, I guess. And, you know, I mean, I've always loved New York. So I kind of sought out to make the move over here. Um, got in touch with Armin Resta, who's the CEO of Blue Liner, and kind of had a really good relationship with him off the bat. And so, you know, from there, moved into working agency side here. And then it was just a, a case of kind of climbing the ladder over the two years and you know, really, really enjoying the work I was doing and um, getting great results. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of how, how it all happened. Got it. Um, so you, you made the, the move from um, from Ireland uh, over to here, at least from Europe over to here. Um, w can you compare um, making that move? I guess at the same time, you also made a transition from client side to, to, um, to working in an agency, right? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about 
Um, moving across the pond first, then we'll get into um, client side agency. Sure. So I mean, there's there's you know a range of trivial things that you wouldn't think of, like such as you know like some dispelling things, even you know with, when your autopilot set to that, to even you know uh, looking the right way when you cross the road. But uh, I mean, it, it, all in all, I think it, it has been a smooth transition because you know we're so influenced by obviously American culture. You know, is, is nearly global at this stage and. Even New York, you know, you see it in all the movies, you see it on the TV. So it's quite easy to, to assimilate into that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, it was much easier than I thought it would be. Good sure, idea. very cool. Do you do you find it kind of surreal to uh, live in the city that you see in all the movies? I think I think uh, if you thought about it too much, you you know, you definitely would find it surreal. But I've always kind of said sooner or later, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're you know, making that 10 minute walk to work or getting the subway for half an hour. It, it, routine makes everything normal in a sense. And I, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Can you compare working client side versus working in an agency? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, when you're on client side, you become so familiar with everything and everything that's wrapped around your different marketing objectives. Um, and so while new challenges do uh, occur, it's, it's essentially like, you know, I, I liken it to playing in an orchestra. You know, if you're if you're playing in the the string section, you can switch around between which string instrument you're playing, but you'll always be playing in the string section. I think sometimes when you're in an agency, you got to get used to switching between you know the woodwinds and the brass and the you know the, the strings. It's, it can be a little bit more complex, so you got to get comfortable with your objectives changing depending on the client and also the tactics you're using changing. And you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you need to know when a certain tactic is called for and when you do need to reach out to someone who may be you know, far more talented than you are in that particular area. Tell me more about that. How do you recognize when there's, there's a need, um, either that you, you can't fill or it might be better fit for someone else? Hmm. Uh, let me think of an example for you. Um, well, I mean, we would have certain projects that would be kind of our bread and butter, um, like local SEO projects here in New York would be one of our very, you know, blue line would be one of our strong suits. But if there was a case where someone might say need a specific app developed, um, you know, like right now we work with a lot of a lot of surgeons, and uh, we have one particular client who's developing quite an interesting app for, um, you know, the a particular function of the, the population he works with. And while we would would know certainly who to get in touch with to build a best in class mobile app, we don't we wouldn't have anyone on direct staff. That would be able to code it themselves. So, you know, I think that's kind of indicative of the newer agency model too, um, where you can kind of expand and contract certain pillars of your, uh, you know, production line as they're needed. Got it. Totally. Um, so, if I read between the lines there a little bit, would you say it's more challenging to work at an agency than work client side? Um, I think it keeps you on your toes. Um, I would do challenging but fun. I think you know. I certainly, sure. certainly no two days are the same, and that is, uh, you know, that could be quite liberating too. You know, you don't get stuck. Um, you know, it means you know steak is great, but if you have steak every day, you kind of get sick of it. So it's nice to to switch it up, um, have your comfort levels, but also, you know, indulge in other things that you might want to upskill it. You know. What what things in the space are you um, are you passionate about? Maybe new things that are coming up. Well, so I really, really am totally obsessed with search right now and how it's evolving from being this very 
technical, clunky, uh, kind of uh, old-school SEO type of thing, moving towards just really giving users, and we're all users in, in this sense, you know, we all use our mobile devices every day to look up information, to really develop, like, deliver the best possible experience for those users. So that's really what's, like, exciting me at the moment. And that, on the organic end, married into how ad tech is now helping us reach the exact people we want to reach for our clients in real time, you know things like programmatic advertising and data-driven and data-targeted social ads um, and everything in that kind of automation space tying those two things together. I think it's, it's you know, I think it's just the way, the way tech is evolving and the way tech is driving the the link between that evolution and actually delivering value to people is, is really, really what gets me excited at the moment. Got it. I believe you said your, um, your title or your position was director of marketing. Yeah. Um, what, is, what does that mean in an agency? Well, so for an agency, um, I do actually, you know, work on some of the bigger accounts and, you know, I really like staying down in the trenches and really hammering out some projects. But in an agency, um, it, can be, it can be a variety of things. Primarily within Blueliner, it's setting out at a high level the exact tactics and strategies we're going to be using for, for clients as we take on new clients and also assessing how we're delivering against our KPIs on a month-to-month -month basis with current clients, ensuring that we're doing everything we can to you know, smash through those, and ensuring that our clients are getting the best ROI from our spend, and also that we're getting the best results from all of our vendors for you know, what we're choosing to do to bring success for them. So it's really kind of a, at a high level overseeing that everything is, you know, that we're doing all we can to help our clients achieve all they want to achieve. Absolutely. Now I want to get a little more into into Blue Liner. Um, what is it that that the the agency does um, so well? Local SEO and um, you know web design would really be two of our strong suits, and and how those two actually marry together. We we practice kind of a, a methodology called the Seven Pillars of Digital Marketing that was created by our, our CEO, and it really you know the, the key element of that is that everything is interconnected. So if you've got a, a fantastic looking website, but your, your search is, is not where it needs to be, no one's going to see that lovely website. And if you've got you know a, a million uh, social followers on Instagram, but you're not delivering them high quality content, it, it's not really closing the loop. So Broodliner really prides ourselves on our local SEO, um, our SEO in general, and that, that you know, top, top end web design. Um, pop quiz, what are the seven pillars? Cool. So the pop, the seven pillars are content, design, SEO, media, CRM, social, and mobile. Um, of those seven, where do you see the most opportunity with, say, a mid-sized business? Hmm. Well, I think search and, and media are, you know, media we define as all types of advertising online uh, are the two because it really, for a medium-sized client who, you know, let's assume they have a good sized budget, you can kind of take a two-tiered approach. You can take the medium-term strategy with your search to get you visible to, to you know, the, the most appropriate audience over the medium term, you know, so anywhere between three to six months. And then if you use that in tandem with a very robust ad strategy, you can kind of get that instant hit where, you know, you're being seen on, you know, uh, Facebook or Instagram or getting to the top of the searches through paid means to begin with until you know, the search kind of comes and rounds out that strategy in the medium term, which creates more of that sustained advantage. So I think that's kind of, you know, a marriage of those two is always, uh, can always really deliver 
nice value for a medium-sized client. Can you tell me how um, how SEO is evolving? Maybe where it's going? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so some in, in somewhere like say Manhattan or New York, you know, it's getting super super localized. We've got a range of say acupuncture clients at the moment, and it's really important to them to rank for you know acupuncture Columbus Circle versus acupuncture Soho. I mean, that really makes a difference. Um, as all these individual search engines are becoming more more robust, um, and so things that feed into that can be you know voice search. Um, you know uh, the the word accuracy now is far higher than it was, and people are are more used to just you know asking Siri or asking um, you know Alexa or whatever when they're driving or even walking. So you know uh, evolving your strategy to become more in line with those longer, uh, more precise kind of searches is very important. Mobile speed is huge, so you know we're really encouraging that any of our clients that have a fairly robust content strategy that you know you got to have your pages. Um, AMP enabled because it really has a strong effect on your, your rankings and your click-throughs and then tied into that you've got to really be offering people you know if, you, if you're in the local market too you've really got to be offering a dedicated mobile UX. Um, reviews are always important and we're at an age now I think where everyone is kind of making the transition between what may have been an old site into a newer site trying to meet some of those uh, you know the dedicated mobile UX and site migrations are huge now so we really are overseeing a lot of successful site migrations for clients, making sure there's no missteps with the redirects or you know changing URLs unnecessarily or you know I mean that switch to HTTPS doesn't doesn't necessarily always work out if it's not done properly. So it's a it's an evolving landscape as you said, and it, it, there's a lot of things to look out for. You know, got it. Um, let's let's go back to that. Um, Columbus Circle acupuncture search you're talking about. Yeah. Um, if I if I'm looking for acupuncture, do I need to specify Columbus Circle, or does it already know that that's where I'm looking? Well, I mean, it can. The mobile device will use the location of where you're at, or if you're, you know, if you are moving around, it will be. Sorry, I'd like to restate that. Yep. Ten second pause. Cool. Cool. So yeah, I really think it does matter because it can track the location in your mobile device, which will feed into that search. And also, if you're pre-planning from your say your home environment, and you know you, it, this is around where you're going, where you go to work, say for example, um, I, I think it is very important to specify because obviously we can can do all the best practices within our knowledge to uh, to achieve those goals, but Google are obviously hold back that secret sauce in, in, to a certain extent. So we're really just doing all we can to achieve those kind of results. But that's something, specifying like that is something we've seen to be very effective. You know, keeping consistencies across your, uh, you know, your Google business listing and then coming at that with your, uh, your long tail keywords and having the location in it is definitely something we've seen that has driven up click-through rates. And, and obviously, you know, what matters the most is the conversions that the client sees at the end of that and uh, that's something we've seen to be very effective in terms of the amount of bookings that certain clients are getting sure got it um one of, one of the things i heard you say was that um because not everything is transparent you're just being as thorough as you can um to make sure that you're ranking in the way that you'd like yeah yeah that's true i mean it's if everyone knew exactly how to do it you know they're it, it 
it, it would be people could manipulate it to the point where you know Google it, it would it would Google would lose control over trying to deliver what they deem to be the most uh, beneficial user experience to the the searcher. So it's kind of that's always been kind of my approach to SEO. Really, is you kind of know the best practices you should be following, and you kind of do those and see which one in this instance has the most impact, and then you can kind of uh, put your best foot forward from there. Totally. Uh, what, in your opinion, uh, are the most exciting developments in digital marketing? Cool. Great question. Yeah, I think um, the evolution of ad tech is a huge one. The move from quite basic kind of uh, you know Google AdWords and Google Display searches to now really what programmatic advertising um, can really help people achieve. You know anything from from DSPs allows you to really you know get in touch with the exact audience you're looking to reach with your product or service before, without them having to say come to your site and for you to remarket to them it, it's it, the power of data is huge now and with everyone using online to you know more and more and more that creates more and more chances for you to kind of slot right into slot intuitively and without any friction into their their buying process or their research process or reach them at the exact time where they're open to be persuaded which i think is is, is nice you know i mean advertising is is all about persuasion and all about context and the developments in ad tech are really supercharging that. I feel. Um, is I heard you say programmatic. Is there anything else specific that um, that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, we really have seen you know programmatic and automation in terms of how we uh, like you know shout out to Needles, which is a really really powerful advertising platform we've been using on the social end. Um, whereas you know we with Facebook. You obviously can reach huge amounts of people based on their interests, and it's definitely, you know, I think it's in a stage where it is very, very, you know, it's it's great value for money. Facebook is where Google AdWords was in the late '90s. I personally feel it's really, really great value for money. But what we have found is that when you use something like Needles on top of Facebook Ads Manager, you can it allows you to search based on queries and social comments and general social conversations which is something that you know not even people asking for recommendations and everything but you know someone discussing you know for example you know we do a lot of healthcare marketing and for someone discussing a pain in the shoulder or someone who might be in the market for orthopedic surgery we can really identify them through conversations they're having on social and so with a platform like needles through automation you can deliver them the most ideal headline the most ideal image and the most powerful description as it relates to them and it kind of takes all those off the shelf and serves them the most ideal ad um, you know and so that, that's you know it's far surpasses anything you could do um, well do easily do in terms of setting up your ad groups so it's super powerful totally um, I heard you mention needles I'm just I'm curious how do you deal with the um, the constant um, barrage of tools coming out um, the the seeming need to change tools on a, on a regular basis um, how, do, how do you keep up with all that well I think it's important to recognize that nothing is going to come out and do everything you want to do um, you know uh, even for SEO we are strong believers in you know bright edge and obviously once we're in the site on the back end we're you know we use the premium version of Yoast 
But those tools can only tell you so much. So it's really the human element of how you put those two tools to work in the case of SEO, which is really where the, the strength comes. Like the tools are only as good as how you use them. So we take every opportunity to try out a new tool when it comes out um, and maybe get a demo. And if we feel it might be beneficial and we have a, you know, a, a small scale example where we could maybe put it to work and really kick the tires, we do that. And the good ones stay and the, the ones that we don't feel deliver that much value, we probably won't have started to use. We probably will have been able to rule that out before we actually start using them. But um, in the case of needles, it was just a case of uh, it was brought to our attention. We tried it out with a, a very specific campaign from one of our bigger clients. We saw great results. So it was the classic case of you know, we, we brought it from one success and we, we saw where we could use that for a lot of our other clients. So I guess trial by actual full campaign use, I'd say would probably be the best way to describe that. Got it. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, let's get into a couple news stories. Our first story today uh, is from Search Engine Watch by Chris Camps. It's titled, uh, What Does Voice Search Mean for Your Local SEO Strategy? Uh, you got into this a little bit, Connor, but I'm curious, what's your take on, on what it means? Well, I think it's, it's really cool to see, um, and I think it's somewhat, not necessarily millennials, but maybe the generation above that, where they love just talking to their phones. I think it's kind of like this, you know, Knight Rider or Star Trek kind of thing, you know, computer tell me that. I think it's it's maybe they're a little less self-conscious than millennials are with it, but it's uh, it's really taken off. You know, I think, um, as it says in that article, you know, it's really like everyone who's adopted that now, I mean, they've 60% of those people have started using it within the last year. So it's growing exponentially. And it's got very practical applications too. Like when you're driving it, you know, it's a no-brainer. It makes total sense. It's like, you know, while you might start using it to call, you know, say call Jim, but you kind of realize that like, you know, if you're on the road, it's so much safer to be doing it. And now that the tech has actually caught up with the requirement, and by that I mean now that, you know, it actually understands what you're saying and to, can deliver you a result, um, I think it's, it's, a, it's only natural that people will start to use it more. So totally. The number of times I've been driving down the road and I have to ask my navigator to uh, to look something up for me, it, it, it is really nice to, to be able to just ask your phone It is, directly. and it's, the nicest part is that it actually works, you know, because I feel like there's been a few examples of where the ask or the demand for something has sometimes come long before the actual solution. You know, a good example is, um, you know, remember back in the days of like LimeWire or when people were heavily using torrents, um, obviously that was piracy. But really what it was, was a desire for people to be able to watch content on demand. And now, now we've right. got several apps like you know, you know, Hulu and, and uh, HBO Go and Netflix are fulfilling that desire. So people... Yeah, it's not that they're not willing to pay, it's that they're not willing to be cumbered by the, the old way exactly, of Exactly, exactly. So I think this voice search is, uh, is very much in keeping with that. It's, it's like people had the desire to use it for a long time, but now that the effectiveness at, at it is actually delivering the results that you want, um, it's, it's, you know, we're in the boom period of it now. So when it comes to actually the SEO end, it, it means a bit of a shift in strategy because it means you know, we're not going to be, you've got to be creating content and optimizing your pages for more natural 
language, which is great. You know, that's really great to be optimizing for that more human spoken word instead of trying to get that, I don't know, very rigid, cumbersome keyword, like, you know, kind of almost crowbarred into content. You know, it's, it's much more natural. We're seeing great results with FAQ pages for this. That's just like definitely my number one. Number really? one tip for that is um, FAQ pages because you can address those queries very naturally. Yeah, yeah it's, and also as well, I mean, you're, where you want to get here is, uh, you know, maybe on the more desktop end, but you want to be showing up for those quick answer things in Google. So, so if 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 you go back, if you go back to the um, the visual world, then is would that come up as a one box result? Um, if you were doing a, a text based search, uh, yeah, ideally. I mean, if you can, if you've got, okay. um, you know, if you can outrank your closest competitor on on the, on the page authority of your FAQ page that's that would be the hope you know yeah got it um, our second story today uh, is from Adweek titled demanding more stringent measurement some brands are using their own viewability viewability standards uh, it's by Lauren Johnson I'm curious Connor uh, what's your take on the the, the changing view, viewability standards that are going on in the web I think it's really important that um, you know, obviously, as digital marketers, we're, we're, we, uh, we're under the pressure of having to account for every dollar, you know. Um, it's not the case where you can put that, bill, well, at least in our world, you know, as opposed to putting the billboard up on the side of the highway that's only relevant to 10% of the people that are going to see it. When you're putting a display ad or a video out there and you're targeting to the degree to which we are able to now, there's, you're under a lot of pressure for, for that to be effective. And... As with anything, it's kind of like the big dogs that can come in and negotiate change. Um, and, you know, we've seen that in many different examples. But here, I think, I think it's a positive step for the publishers to kind of be, you know, to, to, for pressure to be on them to kind of say, okay, like, you can charge us, but you can only charge us when it delivers the value that we need it to, to deliver. Do, do you think that... You're kind of out of alignment with your publishers then if you're putting the onus on them to get views to an ad. Shouldn't it be on the person creating the ad? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think, I mean, the onus is definitely on the person creating the ad, but it's also that, you know, you're not you're not being unnecessarily charged for something when it's, it's only viewed for a second or two and then someone clicks away. It's kind of, I mean, I'm sure there will be some sort of equilibrium that's met. Um, I take your point that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, too strong a pushback for now, but you know, I think it's like anything. You know, it, we shift it one way, we shift it another, and then we find a nice middle ground where it's uh, you know everyone has a clear understanding of what's going on and it's kind of beneficial to both sides. Yeah, I think that's a good point. What we're doing now, just I, I don't, right? I don't think so. Um, but what the the biggest thing I took from from that whole conversation that's happening now is look, at least they're being conscious of it. It's, it's particularly these big brands um, are being conscious about it. Um, because they have so much more data at their disposal than, you know, say a medium-sized company would. And it, I mean, in the same way that the most successful companies right now are taking their customer data and using that to shape, you know, customer journeys and enhancements that are totally user-focused, I think the, the awareness of being in this area is like the most progressive thing, I feel to me, you know, that they know they have to get more out of the ad spending they're using. And it's just... It's, a, it's, it's like almost like another evolution. It's another evolution and awareness brought on to like, okay, who's seeing these ads? Why are they seeing it? Why are we spending money?
for these people to see it and that they care about them being effective because some of these bigger brands it's like sometimes you wonder if they didn't market where would they really be you know what impact does their marketing have so I, I'm just really excited to see that they care that their marketing has an impact on on what they do you know totally and we're out of time so that's it for today on Fjordcast thanks for joining us thanks today Connor pleasure Pleasure was ours. Uh, you can reach Connor on LinkedIn or by email uh, through Connor at bluelinerny.com. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can download episodes of the program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash fjordcast or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.